0: I feel like quoting the great apostle Paul. I come to you in fear and trembling this morning. (laughs) Moi says uh, he said uh, maybe you should have a shot of tequila that'll help you relax a little bit. (laughs) So, (laughs) well, I want to share experience, um, story of my sin, my cover up, and my confession, my Lake Tomahawk experience. I was probably. 14, 15 years old, went up north uh, with our neighbors, the Williamsons, Two Lake Tomahawk over a long weekend. And I believe it was a Friday night. I was walking in the woods with my friend Todd, and we each had beer cans in our hand. I think they were Coors back then. So we're walking along in this wooded area, and I look in the distance, and I can see this park ranger coming towards us. I panicked, I took my beer can, I flung it in the woods. He saw that, didn't like it, and proceeded to give me a couple hundred dollar fine. So that was my sin. The cover-up was going to be the family that I was with, the mom and dad were going to pay the fine. I was going to pay them back over time, and my mom and dad would never know about it unbeknownst to me, the park ranger, I remember his name, Dennis Rowe, called my mom and dad, told them the whole situation, so they knew what was going on. So all through the weekend, I felt horrible, just that anxious, dirty feeling. So Sunday night, I come home into the house, and there's my mom waiting at the door. She said, is there something you want to tell me? I'm like, Figured she knew something, so I told her what happened. Funny thing is, as soon as I explained and confessed, just like that, it was done. Never even thought about it again. I brought that story up to my mom a few days ago, and she had no idea that it ever existed. But that's what we're going to see in Psalm 32 this morning, how one confession can change everything. Everything. Honestly, I didn't really know Psalm 32 that well, going into this and studying about it, but this is an amazing psalm. Um, So the title of this message is The Blessing of Forgiveness, Protection, and Guidance. The Blessing of Forgiveness, Protection, and Guidance. It was told of Martin Luther that one day being asked which of all the psalms are the best, he answered the 32nd, the 51st, the 130th, and the 143rd. Why? For they all teach that, sin, that forgiveness of sins comes without the law, without works, and only to the one who believes. That's why he called them the Pauline Psalms, referencing the Apostle Paul. Because in this Psalm, 32 and verses 1 and 2, it, it's uh, found in Romans 4, 7, and 8, which goes back to Genesis 15, which explains how Abraham got saved he believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. So Luther loved this psalm so much because it really emphasized God's amazing grace. So not just Martin Luther, but St. Augustine loved this psalm also. So much so that he had it engraved on his bedroom wall. And it was told that on his sickbed, he always wanted to be reminded of God's amazing grace, God's forgiveness. He always wanted to have that before him. So this is a powerful psalm. I'm so thankful of our format here at Emmaus Road. We're a confessional church, but we come in like we did this morning. God calls us to worship him, which we do, and then we see how amazing he is, and then we look at ourselves and we have a time of confession. And we're always reminded that God does pardon our sins. He does forgive us. And hopefully that carries over into everyday life. It's not just on Sunday morning, but each and every day we're confessing our sins more and more and more. And in turn, hopefully we're doing that with each other also. We're con- confessing our sins one to another. Psalm 32 is a penitential psalm which expresses sorrow for sin. We're to trust in God's forgiveness. It's a psalm of thankfulness, of wisdom. It contrasts the life of the unbeliever and the believer. And then it ends where we're encouraged, we're commanded to be glad in the Lord, rejoice in him for what he has done for us. Now, when I first started reading this psalm, I thought, well, this is probably after David's mess up with Bathsheba, that big sin, and all that entailed. Well, we don't really know when David wrote this psalm. Um, But here's a a good thought on application. What are we to make in the events of the titles which generally come from David in the psalms? Here we should distinguish between the occasional incident that led to the psalm and the application of the psalm more widely. A good example of this is Bruce Coburn's song, Little Seahorse, which was occasioned by his wife's pregnancy with his daughter. Nevertheless, it is surely a mistake to assert that that song is about that pregnancy and that one alone, nor should we even say that that song is about Coburn's feelings during that pregnancy. Rather, it guides each listener in pondering pregnancies, whether as a father, a mother, or a friend. So there is some backstory to this psalm. We don't know what it is, but we have to ask ourselves, how is this psalm going to affect us this morning and as we walk with Christ going forward? Have you ever thought, why is confession so important? Why do we need to confess our sins? Because in verse 6 we're going to see it refers to the godly confessing their sins. This is after we're converted. Why do we need to confess our sins? Perry, I thought when I came to Christ, my past, present, and future sins were all taken care of. They are. But here's a couple thoughts on that. The answer is divine forgiveness has two aspects. One is a judicial forgiveness God grants as a judge. It's the forgiveness God purchased for you by Christ's atonement for your sin. Such pardon is immediately complete. You'll never need to seek that again. And that's awesome. The other is a parental forgiveness God grants as your father. He is grieved when his, when his children sin. The forgiveness of justification takes care of a judicial guilt, but it does not nullify God's fatherly displeasure over your sin. And we can find that in Hebrews 12:5 through 11, where he disciplines those he loves, and he does it because he cares for us and it's for our good. So the forgiveness we're to seek as Christians in our daily walk is not a pardon from an angry judge, but mercy from a loving father. Think of confession that way. Remorse over sin, daily confession, continual ad- attitude of repentance. These are marks of a healthy Christian life. Thursday mornings are garbage day for the Vanderloops. We bring out the garbage real early, sometimes 6 in the morning. But think of taking your garbage out is like confessing your sin. You want to take it out. You don't want it to linger. You want to get rid of it. Okay. So our outline this morning, it's a classic three-point outline. Verses 1 through 5, the blessing of forgiveness. Verses 6 and 7, the blessing of protection. And verses 8 through 11, the blessing of guidance. So forgiveness, protection, and guidance. Let's read Psalm 32 together. It's in your worship guide. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So notice the top and tail of this passage, the beginning and the end. We have a chiasm structure with parallelisms in the beginning and the end, which speak about joy and blessedness, joy and blessedness, and then again in verse 5 we see David confessing his sins. He encourages us to do the same and that's how we get this blessedness. So in verses 1 through 5 we're going to see the blessed of forgiveness. It's probably not in your worship guide, but if you read in your Bibles it says a uh, Mascal of David. Mascal simply means instruction. Verse 1 says blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered blessed is the man against whom the lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit i've been reading this psalm for probably 2 months now and i was amazed at verses 1 and 2 this is such a big bold statement from david I remember sitting at my kitchen table and just reading this, and to me this seemed so real and genuine from David. He had experienced this. He wants us to experience it and to live this out. You see the the double blessedness? Matthew 5 talks about The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn and meek and are hungry and thirst for righteousness. A lot of places in the Bible that talk about blessedness. Well, Psalm 32, 33, and 34 have been called the Beatitudes of the Psalms. But notice three ways that describe our misbehaving, if you will. It's the full gamut of how we shake our fists at a righteous and holy God. Through transgressions, through sins, through iniquity. But notice what God does three ways, how He takes care of these things. Transgressions are forgiven, sin is covered, He counts no iniquity. Charles Spurgeon said in this verse Holy David, in the front of this psalm, shows us where true happiness consists, not in beauty, honor, or riches, the world's Trinity but in the forgiveness of sins. I got saved back in 87, a long time ago. And I remember just an amazing feeling that I had, knowing that my sins were forgiven. I remember going for walks in the woods, and everything just seemed clear. I just felt a lightness about me. But what's interesting, as you walk with God and you go through the ebbs and flows of the Christian walk, and, you know, sometimes you seek Him the way you're supposed to, and sometimes you don't. You fall into sin, and then you repent, and this process goes on and on. But how easy it is to forget the blessedness of having our sins forgiven. And I'm so thankful of Psalm 32 that we're reminded of that. Christian, if your sins are forgiven, you're blessed. We're blessed. And that's amazing. You might push back and say, you know, my sins are way too great for God to forgive me. Uh, I'm much more worse than throwing a lame beer can in the woods. (laughs) I've done the worst possible sins, fill in the blanks. And maybe that was years and years ago and you're still haunted by that. Well, King David who wrote this Psalm, Psalm 32 fell into great sin with Bathsheba, saw her, desired her, had an affair with her. She became pregnant, trying to cover it up by having her husband Uriah come back from war to sleep with her so that his sin would be covered. That didn't work, and ultimately David had him killed, thinking it would cover his sin. He's the one that wrote this. It's true for him, it's true for us. David guilty of adultery, murder, lying, lusting, coveting, running away from God. So, the idea if God can forgive David the big sins, he can forgive us also, and we should take comfort in that. But you might be here and say, I'm just a little sinner. I'm not that bad. But sin is sin. Those little sins can turn into big sins, and it doesn't matter if you're a little sinner or a big sinner. Our sins separate us from a righteous and holy God, and they need to be dealt with. We're going to see another set of threes. List how David suffered. He gets very personal in verses 3 and 4. If this was after the sin of Bathsheba, this is probably a a nine-month-to-a-year process where he's experiencing verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So again, this is a long period of time that David probably went through this. He's in a backslidden state. He's running away from God trying to cover his sins. Speaks of the heat of summer. It's a humid day today. I thought, heat of summer, I immediately went to when I had COVID, I had a nasty fever for 10 days, 102, 103 fever. Jill had fans on me, wet cloths on me. It was so horrible. And that's kind of what David is going through here. So there's a physical anguish, there's a mental anguish that he's experiencing. One commentary said, The heavy hand of God experienced within the mind and the conscience indicates an awareness of the need for repentance, but a stubborn refusal to yield to God. And the sinner's silence, aggravated by the one desperate for water in a desert, so long as the tongue refused to speak the words of repentance, it curled in speechless pain. Wow. That's what he's going through. My heart breaks for him. And I think we should always look at ourselves. If we're going through this, sometimes maybe it's because we're in sin. We're running away from God. So it's a good thing always to examine yourself. Examine myself. But we feel that there's a real tension here between a loving God and a wayward child. There's a breaking process that's happening here. And it's not because God is mean, he's angry. God loves King David and he's trying to draw him back. And that's what he's always going to do with us. Always trying to woo us back to himself. And verse 5, the light bulb goes on. Verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So David finally comes to his senses and just like that, forgiveness was granted. Oh, the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we have a skewed thought about our Heavenly Father because of our earthly fathers. I remember growing up with my family. I have a sister that's three years younger than me. And, you know, we would fight. And, you know, we weren't really bad kids. Maybe we were. I don't know. But we would fight. And mom would always say, you know, wait till your father gets home. And then the time would tick very, very slowly by the time mom would say that and when dad would actually come home. And you knew when dad got home, you were, you were either going to get the, uh, the spanking on the butt the licking, I think he called it back then, or you would be sent to your room without dinner. And I never thought about confessing my sin back then. And discipline is not a bad thing. But what a concept between our earthly father and our heavenly father. And we see that played out in the prodigal. The prodigal coming home after living a sinful life, wasting his inheritance on worldly emptiness, When he came to his senses, he finally realized that he had wasted his life. He said, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. He went home. His father was waiting and watching for him. And when he saw him, he ran to meet him to welcome him back. God wants us to come back to him. No matter where you're at, if you've been in the sin for a long time or it's just a few days, don't let sin drive you away from God been said correctly that repentance is a prayer way? That's true, but it's also a lifestyle. You can't just pray the prayer. We have to just run back to God. First John 1 John 1.9, a verse we all know, tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you sin, run to God, and we see a blessedness of forgiveness. To our next point, God is granting the blessing of protection in verses six and seven. Verse six says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. So in lieu of David's personal experience, he says, Go to God in prayer. Well, what kind of prayer would that be? Well, the context would be a prayer of repentance, of unconfessed sin. But I think there's more here that David is talking about. Um, Where you see that the rush of great waters, what would that actually mean? The rush of great waters in verse 6. It could be that when we sin, and we feel guilty that that would be the sea of guilt that we're drowning in and that God is able to with his loving hands lift us out of that guilt and that despair in verse 6 but we also see the promises of God to protect us from trouble another set of threes number 1 he's a hiding place number 2 he a preservation from trouble And number three, he surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Here's an honest question. When trouble comes, do you pray? Or how is your prayer life when trouble hits? Confession time. It's very easy for me to have a trial that I'm in or be in trouble, and I will complain and whine to my friends in the session or I'll call up Jed or I'll call up Miles and usually the fifth or sixth thing I will do is pray but prayer should be the first thing that we do when trouble hits I was reminded of a story that I heard years ago about Yellowstone Park beautiful Yellowstone Park I was there a long time ago Wyoming, Montana um, after a terrible fire, rangers began to trek up a mountain to assess the damage. One ranger found a bird literally petrified in ashes. He was troubled by the sight. He lightly poked at the bird with a stick, and when he struck it, three tiny chicks popped out from under the remains. The loving mother, keenly aware of the disaster that was coming, hid her baby from the heat and, and the fire by laying on the chicks. She sacrificed her life so that the chicks would survive. And that's a great picture of how God protects us from trouble. Psalm 91 also talks about that. So sometimes God will protect us from trouble like the chicks. Sometimes we go through trouble, and yet we feel such a strong presence from God. I was reminded of going through my divorce a long time ago, and I was a new Christian at that time felt like my life was out of control. It was very painful. Losing my wife, uh, possessions, having my heart broken. I felt like I was in a hurricane. But I felt like I was in the eye of the hurricane. I felt such an amazing presence of God in my life. And I knew that he loved me during that time. He was there. So sometimes God will protect us from trouble. Sometimes he'll protect us through the troubles. Biblical example is Daniel, um, the fiery furnace. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there in the fiery furnace going through a trial, going through a trouble. And the people looked inside and they saw the Son of God in with them. Great picture of how God is with us through the trial. So the encouragement from David to pray for forgiveness and to go to God in times of trouble. So again, we have seen that when you sin, run to God into confession. He will grant the blessing of forgiveness, protection. To our third point, the blessing of guidance in verses 8 through 11. So there's a change here from David speaking to now God speaking to us. And the idea is, if forgiveness is good, fellowship is better, if we've experienced God's heavy hand in verse 4, we should seek God's guidance and leading in our lives so that we don't fall into sin again. It's like the verse in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew six thirteen: Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. It's safe to say that God is going to do what he's going to do in our lives. We may not always understand it, but he has a purpose and a plan in everything. And we are called to walk with him no matter what. David, Dan, and Luke all speak about their wonderful children in their sermons, and I'm sure we're going to hear Benjamin talk about sweet little Beatrice in the future. We don't have kids. We have golden retrievers. We have a Bailey and a Bentley. What do they call them, fur babies? Well, verses 8 and 9 speak of a cooperation, a synergy between God and us, between God and us. God will lead us. We need to be humble and be led. Back to the Goldens. Bailey is our three-year-old. He's a beautiful boy. He's got a big, thick jacket, and we take him for walks. And ever since he was a pup, he's been awesome. You know, there's always never any tension in the leash. He's just strolling along with his daddy or his mama, and all things are fine. I'm a happy boy. I'm walking with my mama and my daddy. All things are good. That's Bailey, boy. George Bailey, Sir George Bailey. (laughs) Then there's Bentley. Bentley Joseph, he's our four-year-old. Great dog, but ever since he was a pup, he's just not the greatest leash walker. He's always pulling, you know, it's always that tension. He's panting like crazy, he's anxious. But over time, he's understanding that he's got to come back and we're snapping on the leash, he's more on our heel, and he's, he's enjoying it more. Bailey is walking with me, and there's a nice cooperation, a nice synergy that's taking place here. That's the idea, folks. We have to let God do His part, and we have to be humble and let God lead us in all aspects of our lives. Do you want to be a star student or a stubborn mule? The choice is ours. We can follow the instruction of God's word, confessing our sins and repentance, or he will strap on the bit and bridle and use divine discipline to move us in the right direction. Star student or stubborn mule, the choice is ours. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So here's the contrast between the unbeliever and the believer. If you're in Christ, this is what God has delivered you from. Sorrow upon sorrow. And look what he has replaced that with. A steadfast love from him. God's love is always going to be there for us. No matter what happens. And then in verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Matthew Henry said in this verse, We are commanded to be glad in the Lord and to rejoice in him and to shout for joy. Let us be transported with this holy joy as not to be able to contain ourselves and let us affect others with it so they may see that a life of communion with God is is the most pleasant and comfortable life we can live in this world. In conclusion, Psalm 32. Great Psalm. I love it. The blessing of forgiveness, protection, and guidance. And really all three things have one thing in common. Just stay close to your Heavenly Father and you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this